When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Where is it written that it says America can't be the leading manufacturer in the world again? Where is that written? Well, we did lose 57,000 people from the labor force. I certainly don't want to see the unemployment number go up. Uh, I like to see people working. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. I think we all know guys like this. You know, guys that think... They know better than everyone about everything. Is Joe Biden the legitimately elected president of the United States? Joe Biden's absolutely the president. I mean, my gosh, have you seen the gas prices lately? Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Unemployment falls back to the lowest in five decades, and no one seems to feel good about it. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as President Biden celebrates the jobs numbers even as Wall Street tumbles on worries about higher interest rates, a possible recession, we're going to spend time this Friday with the stalwart. Bloomberg's Joe Weisenthal, co-host of the Odd Lots podcast, is with us in just a moment. Later, the Senate debate in Arizona shows another election denier softening some edges. We'll talk with Bloomberg politics reporter Ryan Teek Beckwith about politics on the midterm trail as Liz Cheney calls out Republicans in Arizona. We'll get into that with our signature panel. Rick Davis is back today. Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors for the hour. Welcome to Friday and the threshold of the weekend as we return to Washington today on Sound On with this Jobs Day with stronger than expected numbers that you've been hearing about all day on Bloomberg, seen through the eyes of the Fed, of course, and against the backdrop of inflation. But President Biden speaking today, he was not going there when he spoke to supporters at a Volvo powertrain plant in Maryland. Here he is. Our economy created 263,000 jobs last month. That's 10 million jobs since I've come into office. That's the fastest job growth at any point of any president in all of American history. Historic progress. The unemployment rate remains at historic low, 3.5% unemployment. That includes the lowest unemployment among Hispanic Americans ever in the history of this country. And the second lowest employment among black teenagers ever. He shows up and thinks he's got a great story to tell. Market does not agree. Labor Secretary Marty Walsh was on Bloomberg this morning talking about it. Also, you know, happy to see more hiring. 
but quick to acknowledge the elephant in the room. Here he is. We need to continue to bring down the inflationary pressures that people have. Certainly uh, what OPEC made a decision on this week to do was not helpful to us. Uh, the president was disappointed. We're disappointed as administration, but we need to continue to bring down those pressures. And so here we are less than five weeks from the midterms now. It's about four weeks away. Gosh, the interest rate hikes that have hurt the markets have not put a dent in the job market. And so they've got to be sitting around in the White House with the economic advisors, uh, the economic advisors, the whole economic team saying, what what are we going to do now? This story is not going to change between now and voting, right? Get another Fed meeting, get another jobs report. One of the more provocative takes uh, that I saw today on Twitter came from our very own Joe Weisenthal, uh, who I, I love talking to about this stuff because he's just got a very different view and, and a more provocative one on things. <laughs> I have this, I'm scrolling through my... How you doing, Joe? It's great to be here. <laughs> great to be here. Uh, it's, Always it's, enjoy it. Well, it's my great pleasure. Thank you. Uh, here we go. Yield bugs getting yield. <laughs> Workers getting jobs. Elites seeing their portfolios wither, and yet the ZH crowd remains apoplectic. Almost like Joe writes, almost like the whole thing is an affinity scheme to play on the political biases of the investor class, as opposed to a coherent economic oh, worldview. You got over six hundred likes. Uh, the comments are a riot. I just wonder, you yeah. know, but this is what Joe Biden yeah. is thinking, right? It's like the old Saturday yeah. Night Live skit. I can't believe I'm losing to this guy. He's telling this crazy job story that seems to get better every month in yeah. a vacuum. But my goodness, you know, inflation is dogging some of the, the, the least privileged people in the country. Yes. You know, look, clearly inflation is a very is a problem for uh, consumers, particularly those who have, uh, you know, f f uh, limited incomes. And a lot of people are seeing their uh, money get very stretched, seeing a decline in their standard of living. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if you just look at what's happened in the U.S. this year, we've seen rates go up, which is something people were asking for for years during the ZERP era. It's like, oh, savers can't get any money. We've seen job growth yeah. remain robust, which has been a real surprise. And uh, nominal wage growth has still been impressive. But just month after month, uh, we see the unemployment rate going back down. And we've seen asset holders who did fantastically well for the 10 years after the great financial crisis. If you had real estate, if you had tech stocks, if you had bonds, if you had normal stocks, yeah. they've uh, had a pretty, well, you know, a dismal year. So there's a story you could tell, and I think it's legitimate, where you say, like, look, this is like, a, a, we are seeing a major inequality compression in 2022. Mm. If you're thinking of like, well, what would compressing inequality, which people have been talking about for years, look like? What it would not look that different, would it? It would look like robust wage growth, rock solid, or sorry, robust job growth, rock solid job yeah. growth, yeah. and a compression in asset valuations, and that's what we're seeing this year. And so I do find it interesting, you know. Look, like my 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 tweet was a bit tongue in cheek and trying to be provocative, but I do think it's interesting that in some sense. What we've seen in the economy in 2022 is what a lot of people have been, frankly, asking for for a long time. Well, you know, when Joe Biden talks about yeah. the the from the bottom out, then the from the middle out, yeah. I can't remember the whole thing, as opposed to trickle down. Right. Isn't that kind of what he's trying yeah. to say? And, you know, my goodness, you're not putting that on a bumper sticker that we're going to restructure no. <laughs> the economy for something more stable the years from now.
Yeah, vote for vote for Joe Biden, the president <laughs> who brought three point five un- percent unemployment, you know, six point eight percent inflation, a decline yeah. of twenty five percent of the S and P five hundred. Is oh. no, it's like it's not a great slogan, and inflation is you know obviously a very salient topic. Gas prices specifically are salient. Rent prices specifically mm-hmm. are salient. But on the other hand, look. You know, we have seen this historic pace of job creation. That is real. It's also real that uh, it surprised many people to the upside. A lot of the jobs that we've seen were just, you know, of course, like uh, erasing the losses that we experienced during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But at this point, the strength of the job market continues to surprise economists to the upside, both in terms of the falling unemployment rate, the durability of job gains, and of course, uh, you know, just, uh, yeah, and the durability of job gains. So from a sort of like, if you don't have any money in the market, and your sort of main source of uh, wealth is your job, which for many people, that's the case, you could make the argument, this is a, uh, this is a very uh, pro worker economy. You know, when you you think about interest rates getting back to, you know, you can buy a CD or something for like four (laughs) or 5%. uh, You know, I think about my parents looking at their at their, you know, they're trying to live through retirement on a yeah. fixed income, and 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 you can look at that from both ways. Mm-hmm. Do you when you when you sort of think about the the real scary stuff, you know, the yeah. stuff that can go wrong with this economy, and you think about the number of boomers retiring now, yes. yeah. who are watching this evaporate while they're trying to figure out how to make ends yeah. meet. Uh, how do you reconcile that with people who actually can make you know a, a pretty risk free uh, return now suddenly on fixed income? Yeah, it's really tricky. And what I think, uh, it, you know, it's sort of interesting to think if you think back to like the stock market boom of 2020 and 2021 in particular, I suspect there were probably a lot of people, I don't know the exact numbers, who left the workforce because it's like oh, they hit their mark, whether it's the uh, value of their homes, the value of their stocks. Yeah. You might have a valuable home right now, but the housing market is kind of frozen. So you know, mortgage mm-hmm. rates are at 7%. It's, a, it's not a great time to buy a house. It's also not a great time to sell a house. Not a lot of forced sellers. So the expectation is that that will keep inventories tight and that will keep uh, a bid under home prices. But, you know, you could have uh, nominally a lot of housing wealth and a very difficult time unlocking it. And then you see the value of your, uh, the stock market decline. Mm-hmm. I, it's, it's tricky. There's a lot of tricky things right now. That is very tough for retirees. The labor shortage or the difficulty in hiring is also a tricky time for uh, retirees. And this could be a long-term story in the U.S. economy. The fact that, you know, if you are retired and as you get older, you need more help with uh, more and more things, you know, you need human labor. Setting aside the price, setting aside whether you have money in your bank account to hire someone, you need someone, people need help and they get older. And uh, the, the the shape of dem- the sort of demographic period is going to make it tricky. So yeah. I think there are going to be some like real stresses long term, even after or hopefully soon this, you know, this period of high inflation gets uh, gets um, gets addressed. So, Joe Weisenthal, when when President Biden looked across the resolute desk this morning at, yeah. and looked Brian Deese in the eyes, yeah. of course, they knew what this <laughs> number was, I'm assuming, before 830. Uh, Brian Deese gets it a day or two earlier. Yeah. I don't know about Joe Biden. It, did they say, OK, you know what? There goes your soft landing. Well, is that I mean, that you know, was that the realization? So. I don't no? think so. So it's a, it's a good question. But the way I see it is. 
As long as the labor market is strong, we can't rule out the prospect of a soft landing. Mm. Yes, it will mean that there's no imminent Fed pivot, right? Okay, so we saw short-term rates in the U.S. jump again further today because, yeah, there's, if you're hoping that the Fed was about to pivot, they're not going to. But I don't think like the idea of a soft landing can be ruled out until we really start seeing the unemployment rate shoot up. And right now it's going in the right – it's, it's going <laughs> yeah. in a good direction. And I think that, look, from the Biden White House perspective – I suspect still, politi- just from a politics standpoint, more jobs are still better than uh, sure. fewer jobs. But and you so see I like think- Jay Powell picking up this yeah. cannon in the background, right? Like, no, oh my yeah. God, this is really going to, they're going to really do something serious. Yeah, now. but you know, and that's for real. But you know, they've already, to be clear, they've done, this has been like one of the fastest pace of hiking cycles already in yeah. history. So they have done something very serious already. And what we're starting to see, and of course, the story of the last two weeks is, there's the economic story and there's the financial story. We see this extreme tightening in financial conditions, you know, as they say, like things are starting to break a little bit, most yeah. notably with the gilt market in the UK, and that the entire financial system is kind of on uh, tenterhooks here. Uh-huh. And so there are reasons for the Fed to not necessarily pivot, but to start thinking like, okay, like how far do we want to push this before we start causing real trouble? And the financial system is, you know, the financial markets are not great by many measures. They're going down, spreads are widening, liquidity is bad. We saw what happened with gilts. So, you know, there may be forces on the horizon that cause uh, some uh, Fed officials to want to uh, temper the aggressiveness of the rate hikes from here. Wow. Uh, a lot to think about here, yeah. and, and I just always love talking it through with Joe Weisenthal. You can find, by the way, the full Gilt Market episode of Joe's podcast, Odd Lots. i got to get a beer with you sometime when I'm up there. Thank you again, as always, uh, for the insights. Joe Weisenthal on the fastest hour in politics. What do we do now is we assemble the panel. Rick Davis is back with us. And Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The fastest hour in politics with an eye on inflation and the job market. Just to start the conversation here, we'll have the panel with us in just a second as the job market, of course, shows not just tightness across the board, but further tightness as drillers struggle to find enough workers to meet output targets this year. So think about this. Of course, inflation being driven by rising energy prices has created the need for more production. But the job market is too tight to get the work done. The number of workers employed in U.S. oil and gas jobs totaled 133,800 last month, down almost 5% from this year's peak just in July. So when you consider the impact that this is having on elements of our economy. It's far more complicated, as usual, than the headline numbers. Rick Davis is back with us today, joined, of course, with Jeannie Shanzano to make our signature panel on Sound On, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Uh, Rick, it's great to have you here. This story is not getting any easier uh, for the White House. Uh, It's just incredible, you know, that, that the president cannot sell one of the strongest job markets in history because of everything that it's basically causing. Yeah, Joe, I mean, this is a real quandary for the White House and the messaging team. Uh, they want to go out and claim victory around jobs, but jobs is one of the core elements of not getting inflation in check. And inflation is what voters, I think, are feeling the pinch around. 
And, and certainly it seems to indicate uh, they're holding him responsible for that. So mm-hmm. he's got great news coming in on the jobs front, but it's, it, it, I don't think it's even penetrating when you look at the survey data around what people say the number one issue is, and that's inflation. Listen to the language, the message, Jeannie, that he used today. Hagerstown, Maryland is uh, where we found the president. Again, he was at a, a powertrain plant, a Volvo plant, uh, talking to workers. There are some supporters there, but they had workers collected. Here's how he tried to sort of thread the needle on this. Listen now. The pace of job growth is cooling while still powering our recovery forward. Wage growth for workers remains solid, down from historic high pace months ago, but still growing for workers who deserve a raise. And this is the progress we need to see. In the short term, the transition to a more stable growth that continues to deliver for workers and families while bringing inflation down. In the long term, the economy built on a firmer foundation. A transition to more stable growth. We've been hearing that line more and more, Jeannie, from the president, from Brian Deese, his economic advisors. I don't really know what that means, uh, but when people want more money and greater opportunities, you know, is is that the message they want to hear? You know, I was thinking when the president got these numbers, he must have felt just so frustrated. Like, what a maddening situation to mm-hmm. have these historic labor numbers and this historic job growth, and yet to have a public that is so anxious, people are not feeling it. Many people feel, despite what economists say, that we are actually in a recession, which most economists say we're not. So I think the president and the team are trying to make the case that we are moving in the right direction. It's going to take time. And I think that that is the right message to send. But of course, time is not on their side. You know, as the Fed raises interest rates, it takes, what, six to nine months for that lag to actually have an impact. They are on the right course, and yet it's not going to be in time enough to help the midterms. And the piece of really frustrating news for the president has to be people like Larry Summers coming out and saying, we're going to actually be in a recession in 18 months because, oh, that's right right before the presidential election. So (laughs) the timing here is not good for the Biden administration all around. And I feel like, you know, the show Stranger Things and Upside Down World. He can't even celebrate his labor growth and jobs, historic job numbers. That's right. I bet that's exactly how he feels. Uh, And not to mention the geopolitics happening at the same time here. Uh, Rick, the the OPEC decision to, to cut by two million barrels. It's remarkable to hear the labor secretary bring that up. Marty Walsh today in his sort of analysis of the overall picture says, you know, yeah, this is great, but we got to get this, we got to get inflation down. And OPEC just made it a lot more difficult. None of this can be fixed between now and the midterms. We have to acknowledge that. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're 32 days away from the midterms. Uh, You can release all the strategic petroleum you want. Uh, Your impact on the the price of gas is going to be negligible. And the narrative is not great, right? People, you know, remember way too well a month ago, uh, having surging gasoline prices, all they got to hear is that OPEC Plus is um, uh, reduced output, and and they're going to be expecting the brace. And every day, uh, morning news today in Arizona, where I am, um, you know, uh, price of gasoline has gone up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're going to hear it every day on the on the news, and 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 they're going to feel it as a pump. So uh, at at the end of the day, uh, this this administration, Democrats, have been challenged by economic news going into this cycle, and it doesn't look like they're going to get any relief going in the next 30 days. So then the question becomes, Jeannie, is is Roe, uh, you know, the issue of abortion rights combined with some of the other sweeteners like student loan debt, like uh, 
pardoning people convicted of, of marijuana possession, do those add up to be uh, any kind of competition for, for the big issue of inflation? As we look at the polls, the answer is clearly no. I mean, jobs, the economy, inflation, those are the big issues on people's minds. And, and unfortunately for Democrats, followed by crime in many cases. But Dobbs still does play big. And you know what else plays big? Donald Trump, election denial, and extremism. And I mm. think these numbers are an indication that we might hear the president be even louder on those scores as we, as Rick said, in the next 30, 32 days, they push towards his midterm to get their base out to vote. Even as another prominent election denier softens the edge on that story, we're going to bring you to right where Rick Davis is, Arizona, the big Senate debate, and a fascinating conversation with Liz Cheney, who has a warning for Republicans in Arizona. That's next. This is Bloomberg. Got a, a breaker here from the New York Times on the campaign trail, and it brings us back to Georgia. This is the story that just keeps telling as I read at the New York Times, a woman who has said Herschel Walker, of course, the Republican Senate nominee in Georgia, paid for her abortion. This has been a big story, scandal, whatever you want to call it, over the past couple of days. This woman told the New York Times that he urged her to terminate a second pregnancy two years later. They ended their relationship after she refused. We're going to have more on this coming up with the panel a little bit later on this hour, but I just want to give you a sense of what's happening as we speak. This following the big throwdown in Arizona, the debate last night, Senator Mark Kelly and Republican Blake Masters going at it in what will likely be, I'm assuming it's one and done here, the first and only debate uh, in a race again that may help to determine the balance of power in the U.S. Senate. Of course, it's Arizona and immigration loom large. This is an area where Mark Kelly kind of broke away from the Biden administration and even his own party. Listen to Mark Kelly in the debate. You know, when I got to uh, Washington, D.C., one of the first things I realized was that Democrats don't understand this issue. And Republicans just want to talk about it and complain about it, but actually not do anything about it. They just want to politicize that. And we heard this tonight from my opponent, Blake Masters. You know, he thinks he knows better than everyone about everything. When it comes to border security, I mean, I've been focused on this. And on immigration, yes, we need comprehensive, comprehensive immigration reform. The key word there. But interesting, Democrats don't know what to do with this issue, he says. Then again, Republicans only want to talk about it. Here's the response from Blake Masters. If this is the result of Senator Kelly being focused on the border, my gosh, he's the most ineffective and worst senator of all time. The border's wide open. People are walking through by the hundreds of thousands. You know, if the Mexican drug cartels, if these terrorist narcos, if they could vote in this election, every single one of them would vote for Senator Kelly because they get what they want from him. Let's bring in Ryan Teague back with Bloomberg News national politics reporter who's been tracking uh, the the races, of course, the debates, but also the evolving language in, in some of them. Ryan, it's great to have you. I really appreciate your being with us here uh, on a Friday. This felt a bit like a draw uh, in Arizona. Is that how you see it? Yeah, and in this race, um, a draw is going to favor the Democrats. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, there are still a lot of competitive races in uh, Arizona right now. I don't think that we really know which way the governor's race is going to go. Secretary of State race there is still... Uh, up for grabs. But I think that in the in the Senate race, Kelly seems to have really gotten the upper hand. And I don't think that this debate changed that. 
I don't think that it was, uh, you know, a you know amazing performance by him. Yeah. But he did what he needed to do, and and Masters just wasn't able to kind of break through. I'd like to ask you about a little bit more about Blake Masters. Uh, it, you know, at first he was asked about whether he had scrubbed or, or would acknowledge that he had scrubbed his website of uh, of of what were seen as some extreme views on abortion with no exceptions. He said that's not true and tried to qualify his stand on this. Then, of course, came the uh, the whole idea. And he is a noted election denier and certainly endorsed by Donald Trump. Uh, but when he was asked about it, we saw we heard similar language to what we heard from Don Baldick in in uh, in New Hampshire, who really took a, a turn away from saying that the election was stolen. And last week on the broadcast here on Sound On, Jeff Deal, or just a couple of days ago, Jeff Deal, the Republican running for governor in Massachusetts, framed the, the so-called rigging very similarly to the way Blake Masters did. But let's start with the way this this went down in the debate. Here's Masters again. Is Joe Biden the legitimately elected president of the United States? Joe Biden's absolutely the president. I mean, my gosh, have you seen the gas prices lately? Legitimately There's elect, no doubt. Legi- I'm not trying elected. to trick you. He's duly sworn and certified. He's the legitimate president. He's in the White House. And unfortunately for all of us. Okay. So what did happen then? If, you, if somebody was thumbing the scale, here's Blake Masters with a, with a little bit more of that answer. I think it's a problem that the FBI forced Facebook, they pressured Facebook and other big tech companies to censor true information about Hunter Biden's crimes in the weeks before the 2020 election. And so millions of Americans didn't get to read about that. They didn't get to read about Hunter Biden and his corrupt business dealings with China and the Ukraine. Business dealings which credibly implicated Joe Biden. And then the media lied to us about it. They said, oh, that was Russian disinformation. No, it wasn't. It was true. And so when the media is lying to people, helping big tech and apparently federal law enforcement censor information about presidential candidates, well, I think people start to worry about the integrity of their elections. The media, big tech, and federal law enforcement, Ryan, this is exactly what we heard uh, just a couple days ago from Jeff Deal, as I mentioned. Is that the new answer? Is it code? Or is just that this is the only way an election denier is going to back out of this? Yeah, I mean... To be very clear here, Blake Masters isn't just an election denier. He spent his campaign money to run an ad in the primary that begins with him looking directly at the camera and saying, I think Donald Trump won in 2020. Huh. So, so of all of the election deniers that I've been tracking, and I've been tracking more than 250 of them. Who you have, about yeah. Um, you know, they, there are lots of different ways that they have said that or they have come tried to sort of say, well, you know, I have some questions, I have some doubts. That is really high up there because it isn't just something he said. I mean, he paid money to say it, and he wrote that script out, and they approved that script. So it's really hard for him to back away from that. Now, we've seen with Don Bolduc, you know, he did reverse himself after the primary. In the primary, he said, "I, you know, I stand by a letter that I signed that said the election was stolen. Then immediately after winning the nomination, he said, I've actually I've changed my mind. And then recently he went back again and said, actually, now he doesn't know uh, if the election was stolen or not. And it is a very, very hard sort of knot to untie once you have tied it. And I, right? I just think that Masters is kind of talking himself in circles. It's, it, it's, it's kind of necessary to point out that what he said there is not accurate, that the FBI did not order big tech to do anything 
right. what happened was that there was a story and the social media companies kind of on their own yeah, right. decided to not amplify it. Uh, and I and you can doubt that decision. Well, we're going to be hearing it again and again and again based on what we have already heard the last couple of weeks. But this is this is an interesting trend. We're going to reassemble the panel and get their take on this. Ryan Teague back with great conversation. Have a great weekend, Ryan. And stay with us on Sound On. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Donald Trump said just as recently as Wednesday, just two days ago in a speech in Miami, that the election was stolen and that he was the winner in 2020 and, and easily won this. So how does that square with what we're hearing from Blake Masters, Don Balduck, Jeff Deal, and what will that mean for their relationships? He endorsed them, and now they're not so sure. Well, actually, you heard from Blake Masters. He made it clear he thinks that Joe Biden is the legitimate president. Let's reassemble the panel. Rick Davis, G.D. Shanzano with us. Rick actually is in Arizona where the uh, debate took place and was part of a really interesting uh, event, fascinating conversation with Liz Cheney. Uh, Rick actually put the whole thing together. It took place at the McCain Institute at ASU, and Rick moderated this conversation that was newsmaking. Liz Cheney was urging voters specifically in Arizona to reject Republican candidates who were election deniers, not only for governor, Senate, but also secretary of state. And she had a message as well I thought was fascinating for Glenn Youngkin, who went out there to uh, to stump for the election denying Republican nominee. Here's Liz Cheney. I don't know that I have ever voted for a Democrat. Um, but if I lived in Arizona now, I absolutely would. And for governor and for secretary of state. Um, and I, I think... You know, we cannot be in a position where we elect people who will not fundamentally uphold the sanctity of elections. And I think that that's got to be, you know, more important than anything else. That's pretty incredible to hear from anybody with the last name Cheney, Rick, that if I lived in Arizona or in a state in a similar place, it's not just Arizona looking at uh, election denying secretaries of state potentially being in office. She says she would vote Democratic. Did that surprise you? Uh, it didn't surprise me, uh, you know, uh, following Liz Cheney's career, but more importantly, that's different than uh, not voting. That's different from not voting. Uh, and that is a significant departure from her family tradition. Uh, she's got a rich family history of uh, dedication to the principles of the Republican Party uh, in her own career. But it's pretty obvious that when she looks at candidates who basically say uh, in their campaigns, that they will refuse to honor an election that they don't win, then, I mean, it's what else can you say? Uh, these are not people who have agreed to play by the rules of democracy. And we are a rules-based country, and they decided to go a different way. And I, I, I think it's honorable on her part. It was obviously a career-changing uh, uh, decision by her to uh, get involved with the January 6th commission, but, mm -hmm. you know, she makes the point that the, um, the president is unraveling our Republic and that the fragility of American democracy should be taken seriously. And she's a very good uh, spokesperson uh, for that very important topic. Yeah. I mean, look, the, the results of her primary were brutal, but she has been an incredibly effective communicator 
uh, when it comes to this issue. Listen to Donald Trump, Jeannie, uh, from Wednesday, Miami. As I mentioned, it was the Hispanic Leadership Conference. As he talks about what he thought was an unbeatable position going into the election of 2020, and he says it in a way that only Donald Trump could. Here he is. I remember a very famous pollster, very well-known, John McLaughlin, came to my office just prior to the play coming in. He said, sir, if George Washington and Abraham Lincoln came alive from the dead and they formed a president, vice president team, you would beat them by 40%. That's how good our numbers were. He says this with a straight face, Jeannie. I'm assuming he doesn't really have uh, the, uh, the research to back that up. But this is how headstrong he is. It is, and it's how humble he is, Joe Matthew. It's <laughs> quite correct. a humble man. It's the humility. Yes, yeah. I could just hear four score and seven years go ringing out in my head <laughs> as we listen to his his wafts and wanes, and you know. Um, you know, I, I, I've never, I can't imagine we'd see numbers of that kind. We do know he still has a lot of support in the Republican Party, that's for yeah. sure. And I think, you know, this brings it back to what you and Rick were just talking about. And congratulations to Rick on another really important McCain Institute event. I mean, really a newsworthy event. And what I was struck by at the event when Liz Cheney was asked how she defines, I believe she was asked how she defines or patriotism or what the meaning of patriotism is she said putting country above political party and putting your own political interests and political future and career above your party and your politics so Mm -hmm. um you know or put the 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 reverse way i can't say it the way she said um but you know that's where we are at this point and she's very much in the minority as we look at her warnings about what's going on in arizona at the state level and then a brookings report out the other day saying 435 election deniers are on the ballot and about close to 60% of them have a real shot of winning at this point. Rick, what was your take on the Arizona Senate debate? We spent some time on it a bit earlier this hour. Uh, Senator Kelly, uh, uh, Mark Kelly, was considered in in a, to be in a very vulnerable pr- position. How has he strengthened his hand over the last couple of weeks? You know, I don't, I don't know if he's strengthened his hand. Um, any candidate who's incumbent and going into a, a month before the election and, and has a polling of about 51 percent, anything over 49 percent is 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 a good is in good shape. Right. Yeah. Um, the, the election has closed. Uh, there's no question as the Republicans have sort of consolidated around Masters, who they did not know very well when he won the nomination. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's tightened up, but that's just primarily because the Republican Party has surrounded their nominee. Um, whether or not he can get any uh, crossover independent votes, which independent votes in Arizona are everything, right? They're the largest identifiable group, yeah. bigger than Republicans and Democrats. So I would say uh, advantage, you know, like what Ryan Beckwith said earlier, advantage Kelly, um, you know, you got to take it away from him. It's his election to win right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I don't think anything happened in that debate uh, that uh, otherwise would have done it. Look, I mean, the issue set doesn't break well for him. Right. The border is a major issue and the yeah. Biden administration has has screwed it up. So uh, in so much as he's kind of running away from that, uh, you see Masters running away from Donald Trump. Uh, I, I think <laughs> that's a foot race that I'd have to say Kelly's got a more likely chance of winning fascinating uh the real clear average by the way the poll of polls kelly up 4.1 uh we've got a january 6 committee hearing next week this was rescheduled 
uh, and that's going to be taking place on Thursday, by the way. But I, I just, I, I do wonder as we discuss this idea of election denying, uh, what you thought about both of you, what you thought about Liz Cheney name checking Glenn Youngkin, who many believe to be the future of the Republican Party and could in fact be a presidential candidate. He's been traveling the country helping Republicans raise money. Uh, and, you know, he has, you know, Paula Page was on the list. Carrie Lake was on the list, which got Liz Cheney's attention in Arizona. Uh, Jeannie, is he mortgaging his reputation by sharing stages with candidates like this? You know, that's the case that Liz Cheney is trying to make, that you can't have it both ways. You can't both try to run as a moderate, as he has, and to present yourself as a, as a leader of the major political party in the country, you know, one of the major ones, and at the same time be courting, funding, and electioneering on behalf of election deniers. And I think, you know, at this point, it's not a message, unfortunately, for Liz Cheney that's resonating in the party, but I think she is betting on the fact that as time goes by, mm-hmm. the message will resonate. And you mentioned January 6th hearing. Um, you know, I think this is, you know, likely going to be the last public hearing we have. And I think we're going to hear an awful lot in that vein as we that as they make this case over and over again before the election. We probably won't hear from them again after. Is it unwise for Glenn Youngkin to be cavorting with the Kerry Lakes of the world, Rick? Yeah, I just don't see what's in it for him. He uh, very deftly uh, negotiated his way from having to do anything related to Donald Trump in his primary and general election in Virginia. Uh, Everyone looked at that and said, wow, this could be the model. We could actually get a Republican elected without having to kowtow to Donald Trump. And I I wouldn't call him a moderate genie. I mean, he's a conservative uh, Republican in a conservative uh, state, Uh, but um, he does mortgage some of that uh, appeal uh, by going around and giving some of that positive uh, impact that he's carrying with him to candidates like Carrie Lake, who who has has tried to now do a backflip to very similar to Masters, who's running in the Senate race to convince people in Arizona that, oh, no, no, I didn't mean any of that stuff I had to say (laughs) in the primary. Um, So so look, we used to run to the right to win the primary and come back to the center of politics to win a general. Uh Now we run to Donald Trump in the primary and then try to run away from him as fast as we can in the in the general. So it's a, it's a big spin. I promised to ask you both. We only have a minute left. I, we don't have to get, obviously, too far into this. Did Herschel Walker just make his life more difficult? Does this story uh, in the New York Times, Jeannie, change what was already a mess? It, it, it makes the mess a, a whole heck of a lot worse, and I think it's going to keep getting worse. And, you know, uh, the, the fact that it, he simply does not have a response to this and the stories drip, drip, keep coming out. And, yeah, and I would just sure tell do. Rick, I call Youngkin a moderate because in the Republican Party today, he's pretty much it. <laughs> well, listen, uh, and it, it was really more his lack of relationship with Donald Trump, right, or appearances. But, Rick, would you put Herschel Walker on Sunday morning television this weekend? I, I think I'd, I'd try to put him in a hotel room and lock him up. <laughs> okay. um, I, I side with the lieutenant governor. Uh, you pick a candidate like this, you better expect a rough ride. Wow. The next couple of days are going to be something on that story. I'm glad we could all be together to usher in the weekend. Rick and Jeannie, thank you so much. We'll be back with another edition of Bloomberg Sound On Monday, the fastest hour in politics. If you showed up late, subscribe to the podcast. You'll see what I mean. Have a great weekend. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.